0: Our Heavenly Father, you are good to us, and you have provided us with your word, the Bible, to teach us about you and to teach us how we can draw near to you. And as we now uh, open your word and look into it and read about um, the sacrifices and the the way that Jesus came to save us from our sins, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to understand these things to a new level today. Open our hearts, open our minds, and may may we have the determination, the wisdom, and the courage to do the things that we see in your word. I pray this, Lord, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, so as I mentioned, we are in this series in Leviticus talking about the sacrifices, and uh, its uh, title is Draw Near. And uh, so far in this series, we have seen two main ways that the sacrifices deal with the consequences of sin. See, one of the consequences of our sin is that it makes us legally guilty before God. And the just punishment for sin and uh, the punishment for our guilt is the death of the one who sinned. Now, that, that might seem a bit overly harsh to you, that sin requires death, uh, but if, if, if that's where you are, um, you, under, you misunderstand the seriousness of sin. And one of the key lessons that we've seen in this whole series is the gravity of our sin which is illustrated so graphically by the system of animal sacrifices. You see, sin at its core is a rebellion against God. It is a rejection of God and an asserting of our own will over his will. And that is a serious blunder with serious consequences. And the Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is death. So when we sin, we earn death for ourselves. We deserve death. But God is merciful, and he has provided a way for people to offer a substitute in their place. So in the sacrificial system, in the old... Uh, the old system, a worshiper could offer an animal on the altar and the death of that animal would serve as a substitute uh, uh, and would atone for their sins. Their sins would be covered by the death of the sheep or the cow or whatever the animal was who was dying in their place and God would forgive. But, of course, we've talked about how this was not really an effective sacrifice. This was just a symbol. It was a a, a shadow of the real sacrifice that was to come. In the biblical book of Hebrews, in chapter 10, uh, the Bible talks about this. Uh, The author is making this point about the ineffectiveness of the uh, animal sacrifices and uh, uh, to really earn our forgiveness. And here's what he says. He says, the law, which by which he includes all this sacrificial system, is only the shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, they would have stopped being offered for the worshiper would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt, felt guilty for their sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And of course, that makes sense to us. Um, why would the death of a goat have any effect on your personal guilt before God? Um, The goat has nothing to do with the sin that you did. It's just not a good replacement for us. We need a substitute that can really represent us and stand in our place for us. And God himself has provided that sacrifice in the person of Jesus, who sacrificed himself in our place, taking the death that we deserved. Uh, Further on in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 11, it says, Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, that's, of course, talking about Jesus, the, the priest who offered himself as one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So the death of Jesus was a legitimate substitute for us because he was one of us. He was fully human and thus he could be our representatives and substitute and die for us in our place. So that's the first aspect of sin that we have learned more about from this study of the sacrificial system. Our sins deserve death, but God allows a substitute to die in our place. And this was foreshadowed in the animal sacrifices and fulfilled by Jesus on the cross. Now the second big uh, lesson that we have uh, seen about sin and its consequences uh, is uh, that our sin pollutes and corrupts us. But sacrifices can bring purification. So we saw that in the the purification sacrifices that we read about in Leviticus chapters 4 and 5, which focus on the fact that our sin makes us unclean. And this uncleanness is a barrier to our relationship with God, because God is holy, which means that he is totally separate from sin and evil. And when we sin, we are unholy, sinful, and tainted by evil. But God in his mercy provides a way for us to be cleansed from the taint of sin. And so in the Leviticus passage, it talks about how some of the blood of the purification offering was sprinkled in key places around the uh, altar and the tabernacle, And the blood of the sacrifice then cleansed away the corruption of our sin. And we see this concept also discussed in the book of Hebrews in chapter 9, where it's describing some of the ways that the old tabernacle was purified with blood rituals. And then it says in in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 9, it says, but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made by human hands. That is to say, it is not part of this creation. So he's just been talking about how um, the earthly tabernacle that was built by Moses in the, in the uh, wilderness there was really a model of the real tabernacle which exists in, a, in the spiritual world in, in heaven with God and that the the physical tabernacle was just a, a copy of the real tabernacle. And now he's saying Jesus went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that was not made with human hands. That is, he went through the real tabernacle. Okay, verse 12. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. So he's summarizing some of those purification rituals from the Old Testament. He says those, the sprinkled blood of those sacrifices could make someone ceremonially unclean. But then he says in verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts of death so that we may serve the living God. It's the same idea that's in that that well-known verse from, from 1 John where he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness includes purification. Jesus has died in our place, taking the death we deserved, and his death also washes away the taint of sin so that we can be clean and holy and the barrier keeping us from God can be removed. And now, in the sacrifice that we're learning about for this week... There's a third element, the consequence of sin, that uh, is dealt with, and this is it. It is that our sin puts us in God's debt, and we owe restitution for the wrong that we have done. But God in his mercy has provided a way so that people can bring sacrifices and pay their debt. And we find this uh, restitution sacrifice in Hebrews, or sorry, in uh, Leviticus chapter six, uh, uh, five and five and six, Hebrews chapter five and six. And uh, again, it's a fairly uh, long passage, and we're not going to read the whole thing together today. We're just going to focus on a couple of sections that uh, get at the meaning of the sacrifice and uh, and and the procedure that. Uh, that people would do. And so the the basic idea is laid out in verses 14 through 16 of Leviticus chapter 5, where it says, The Lord said to Moses, When anyone is unfaithful to the Lord by sinning unintentionally in regard to any of the Lord's holy things, they are to bring to the Lord as a penalty a ram from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value in silver, according to the sanctuary shekel. It is a guilt offering they must make restitution for what they have failed to do in regard to the holy things. Pay an additional penalty of a fifth of its value and give it all to the priest. The priest will make atonement for them with the ram as a guilt offering and they will be forgiven. So this section, uh, the focus is on someone who has sinned in relation to things that are Uh, devoted to God, things that belong to God, which it calls here the holy things. Um, In other words, these are things that have been set apart for God. And this could be uh, maybe tithes and offerings that people owed to God, or payments that were promised in fulfillment of a vow. Uh, There were a number of situations where someone could essentially uh, cheat God out of what was rightfully his. And if that were to happen, then God has laid out a way to deal with that. We see this concept uh, regarding the tithes in the book of the prophet Malachi, where God through the prophet says this. He says to the people, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. You see, in Malachi's day, the whole nation was accused of robbing God uh, in not bringing to him what was owed to him. But here in this Leviticus passage, it's focused primarily on individuals who uh, came to be uh, convicted that they had somehow shortchanged God and not given him what he deserved. They had been unfaithful in the holy things that uh, should have been set apart for God. And so what must they do? Um, They were to pay back the amount that they had been unfaithful, plus a 20% penalty. And they were also to bring a ram to God as a offering, And when the animal was offered, we have that familiar phrase from all the descriptions of the sacrifices uh, where it says, the priest will make atonement for them and they will be forgiven. So that's another key lesson that we have seen over and over as we've studied these sacrifices. The purpose of the whole system was so that people could get right with God. Sin has consequences It causes great problems. But God saw our need, and He came to our rescue by providing us with the means to deal with the consequences of our sins. God offers us forgiveness. We do not need to die for our sins, we do not need to be tainted and corrupted by our sins. We do not need to owe a debt for our sins. The sacrificial system provided means to deal with all of these things. And the great sacrifice of Jesus that the whole system was foreshadowing also provides us with the true means of dealing with all of these consequences of our sin. God offers us forgiveness. And it was through his initiative that the means of dealing with sin was created. And now, if we turn to him in faith and put our trust in Jesus' death as the sacrifice for our sins, we can be forgiven. Our sins can be erased. And that is good news. In fact, it is the best news that you have ever heard. (laughs) We sometimes forget just how great that news is, but that is good news. We can be forgiven. God wants to forgive us. Uh, One of the great biblical poems puts it like this. It says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious So far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, the the next section on this uh, restitution sacrifice that I want to look at is in Leviticus chapter 6. And here it talks about sins that result in losses to other people. Uh, Theft, cheating, fraud, sins like that are discussed here. When someone is guilty of these kinds of sins it is not enough to simply bring an offering to God and offer a sacrifice for, uh, at the tabernacle. The sinner must also pay back the victim of his sin, whatever he stole or defrauded or whatever it was, plus a 20% penalty. Same as if he had defrauded God or cheated God, he must do the same for any other person who was harmed by his sin. Now, there's a couple of interesting points to be made here. First one is that even if your sin is against another person, if what you did hurt, it, hurt someone else, you still owe God. God is an injured party in every sin. All sin is against God. Many times other people are also affected, but all sin requires forgiveness from God. God. That means that if I were to pick somebody's pocket, take $50 from their wallet, the victim of the theft is not the only one who has been wronged here. God has also been wronged. God demands that we pay back the $50 plus an extra penalty, but he still also demands that an animal be sacrificed at the tabernacle to atone for that sin. When we rob someone, it is a rebellion against God and a rejection of him. Just the same as if we commit a sin that is more obviously directly against God himself. So in any and every kind of sin, sacrifice is required to make atonement. The relationship between the sinner and God must be repaired. Even when it might appear that God is not the victim, that some other person is the one who I have harmed, God still is the offended party. We see this uh, very clearly in another of the Bible's poems. uh, uh, This one is about confession. And the sinner, who had clearly sinned against many people, if you know the context of this poem, uh, he had even killed someone uh, in this, uh, this sin... And yet he says this, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. But here in this passage of Leviticus, we see that this emphasis on the relationship between the sinner and God does not exclude the damage that you have also done Uh, to other people and the responsibility of the sinner to those whom he has harmed. Yes, a sacrifice was required. In in Leviticus here, you have to bring a ram. But you also have to pay back what you've stolen plus the 20% penalty. See, God knows that our sins often do harm to others. And he demands that we make that right if we are to be forgiven by him. Now, the examples in our Leviticus passage are all sins in which there's a cash value to the damage that uh, has been done to the victim of the sin. Uh, But the principle of this passage can be applied more broadly uh, to sins where the damage is is not monetary. Uh, The principle here could be stated as this. When our sin has harmed another person, we must do what is possible to make them whole again, as well as coming to God for forgiveness. And this is easy to see in those monetary examples, but it gets more difficult in other kinds of sins to, to really figure out how you're supposed to do this. Uh, for example, let's take a sin where you have damaged someone's reputation by spreading lies about them. Now, it is not enough for you to only go to God and ask God to forgive you for that sin. You must also repay the human victim. But how do you repay something like that? Right. Well, you can go to the person you've harmed, confess your sin, apologize, and ask for forgiveness. But that still doesn't undo the damage that you've done to them. You can also go to the people that you lied to and confess to them that what you said was not true. And this will cause your own reputation to be damaged. But that is part of the cost to mitigate the harm that you have done. Now, all of that is not as clear-cut as paying back the money that you stole, uh, but, but the, it fulfills the principle. When others have been harmed by our sin, we must do what we can to undo that harm and make the victim whole in addition to coming to God for forgiveness. Another example might be if I am sinfully angry and disrespectful to my wife in front of my kids. Yes, I need to confess that to God, and I need to ask for his forgiveness. But I also need to confess to my wife, tell her that I'm sorry, and ask her to forgive me. And I also need to go to my kids, and I need to tell them that I was wrong to treat their mother that way, and that she deserves to be treated better. Now, sometimes, as in those two examples we just talked about, it's going to cost you something— to try to mitigate the damage that you have done. And sometimes, even when you've done your best, you really can't undo the harm that you've caused others. In fact, there are some sins in which there's really nothing that can be done. But when our sin has wounded another person, we are obligated to do what we can to heal that wound even when it is costly to us. This is part of the process of forgiveness that God requires. Now, I want to be clear that what we're talking about here is different from the concept of penance. don't—I don't, Penance is not really a biblical idea. We're not talking about performing religious rituals or donating money to the church or something like that in order to somehow earn forgiveness from God. We're talking about doing what we can to pay back what we owe to those who have been directly harmed by our sin. Because, see, God's forgiveness does not shield us from the natural consequences of our sins. For some sins, you'll still go to prison even if God has forgiven you. For some sins, your marriage will still be damaged, even though God has forgiven you. For some sins, you'll still lose your job, even though God has forgiven you. For some sins, you will need to give of yourself, your time, your money, your reputation as a consequence for the sin that you have committed. However, when we come to God and claim Jesus' death as the Sacrifice for our sins and when we have taken steps to make right the damage that we have caused to other people, forgiveness is available for any and every sin. God has provided a means for dealing with the sin that we have committed and we can be cleansed. Your debt can be paid, and you can live in freedom because of the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf. I want to conclude with a quotation from Jesus himself from his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what he said. He said, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, then, come and offer your gift. Our worship of God must include reconciliation with our fellow man. We cannot be in right relationship with God while we have a broken relationship that we refuse to do our part to repair. Jesus says that if your brother or sister has something against you, that's the scenario we're talking about here. They have something against you. You have done something that has harmed that person. If they have something against you, first go and be reconciled to them. So here's, we have someone, they have something against us and we've not yet done what can be done to reconcile We have not apologized. We've not paid back the money that we cheated them out of. We've not done what we can to heal the wound that we have caused. In order to worship God properly, we must also go and seek reconciliation. Now, of course, with all of these things that we've talked about today, the response of the victim is not a condition for God to wipe away our sin go to the person and you do what you can and they refuse to forgive, you've done what you can and God still forgives you and wipes away your debt. But the Bible does have a lot to say about how we ought to behave if we are the victim of someone else's sin and they come to us and apologize. But that's not what we're focusing on today. Today, what we're, we're focusing on the action of the sinner, the one who has caused the harm and what he must do. The sinner must seek to repay the debt to God and to the victim. Now, my closing question is this. Are you in the place of the person that Jesus was just talking about? Does your brother or sister have something against you? God requires that if that harm can be amended by you, then you must do it. God will forgive and your relationship with him will be restored. And hopefully your relationship with the victim uh, will also be reconciled. But God offers you forgiveness and he he offers you cleansing from your sin. Let's, Let's just pray. Our Heavenly Father, I pray for all the people here today who thought of someone when we talked about brothers and sisters that might have something against them. Lord, I pray that you would help all these people to do what they can. Give them wisdom, Lord, to know how to address these sins and how to repay the harm that they've done, how to heal the wounds. And then, Lord, give them that strength and determination to do it. May it be a great time of healing and forgiveness. Lord, I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.